Welcome to Kodachi for Three, a bi-weekly podcast where three friends and passionate players discuss the world of Wraith. If you're looking for flesh and blood content, we've got it. Focusing on competitive play, community building, and yes, going off on plenty of tangents. From our favorite casual builds to the market, nothing is off limits. So sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for Kodachi for Three. Welcome, welcome. We're your hosts for Kodachi for Three this week. I'm Adam Roach. I'm Drayton Gans. And sadly, Shay is not with us. Stuck in Midwest City somewhere doing an errand. Crazy kid. He doesn't have his priorities straight is all I heard. That's really what I heard, too. Flesh and blood is the priority. Kadachi for three is the priority. So to now, tonight, it's basically just Kadachi for two. <laughs> and honestly, like, I feel like we're getting too ninja with it. It's, it's a little too Ira for me. Yeah. I guess we'll have to move on to something a little more in range. Uh, that's not as good. With people reinvigorated and back to playing around with Ranger, though, I do think it's a good time for us to talk about our featured card for the week, which is going to be Poison the Tips. Um, I picked this card. I didn't float it to anybody, so Drayton may be seeing this up front for the first time. I picked the card because I've really been playing a lot with Lexi since the new set came up. And Poison the Tips has been a card that I've just absolutely loved in the deck. So, uh, to give everybody a frame of reference here, this is a Ranger Action Majestic. It is not a talented card. It pitches for two. It costs zero to play. It blocks for two. And the card text reads, until the end of turn, arrows you control gain. If this hits a hero, they discard a card. It also has reload. So, if you have no cards in your arsenal, you may put a card from your hand face down into your arsenal, and it also has go again. Yeah. So what do you think, Drayton? Yeah, so, I mean, you said I would be unprepared for this card, but, I mean, this was a card I had my eye on um, preset release. Because uh, I do think with the more wide strategies you can get out of Lexi, the ability to threaten that discard from hand on hit effects, things like that, it becomes a lot more aggressive. Um, more and more playing this game... Um, the most controlling effects are usually the ones where you're offering either dump your whole hand to block me out or I'm going to do something mean to you if you let me touch you at all. Um, especially when you have those ranger breakpoints of four and five usually, uh, making it a lot harder to block out efficiently. Um, I mean, you can stack this with the hit effects of the ice arrows as well. So now it's instead of just get a frostbite token, it's discard a card and get a frostbite token, which is even more crippling. Um, but I do think that a lightning build will probably see more benefit from this card than an ice build, per se. That being said, I think either build could play it relatively well. Um, I don't think it was as useful in Azalea, because Azalea was more of, kind of this big, heavy, go-tall build that I was usually seeing in, be more effective, and anything that was making it so you weren't hitting as hard or maybe even as consistently, might not be the card up your alley. Not to say that I don't think this card would ever go in an Azalea deck, I just didn't see it much um, in decks I was playing verse. Yeah, oddly enough, I didn't either. I've always liked the card, but kind of like you said, with their big chunky hits, if you weren't dominating them, they were typically either blocking you out anyway, so they didn't have any cards to discard, or if it was dominated, losing two cards wasn't actually that big of a deal to them. So it just... It didn't see a ton of play. It also only, again, blocks for two, 
which in some of the older Azalea decks, that's, that's a pretty big deal, unfortunately. I personally have been using it mostly in the Lightning version. I need to test it in the Frost version. That's something I just haven't had the time to do yet. You know, the set's new, it's young. I've got a lot of ADD as far as what I want to play between Oldheim, Lexi, and uh, Briar. But I have been testing this card out in a fairly Lightning-heavy version of Lexi. Um, being able to obtain a lot of go again with very, very low damage hits, this seems to be incredibly effective because even if... They want to choose to block me out basically it forces them to block these really cheap chip damage attacks and kill their hand because if they don't block it they're losing the card anyway um, especially if i can pair that with some kind of lightning card like ball lightning or something of that nature um, or electrify that might give my next thing i hit with plus three damage it ends up being pretty punishing anytime they choose not to defend on a wide turn um, and I, I do believe, like you said, that Lexi Ranger in general hits their breakpoints better than most classes. So I am hoping with Lexi that this is going to see a lot more play and that it's going to be a bit more effective in this set and moving forward. I think a big card that comes to mind for me with this card is actually Polar Blast out of the Ice um, kit. Because, so Polar Blast, for those of you who aren't aware, it costs one. Um, it says at the red version, you're opposed opposing hero must pay three if they do not your next attack this turn gains dominate um, and if you play it from arsenal you draw a card go again so this card's doing a few things it's got hand regeneration in it it's got that they have to now you lose a card from hand which again is the whole game plan of what you're wanting to do with poison the chips or gain dominate which at that point now you're gar almost guaranteeing that effect going through um, so you're just hurting the efficiency and you can play this before you display the poison the chips so they might decide to not play into it, letting you get the dominate, and now you're playing Poison the Chicks, getting that card anyways. If they do decide to pitch and not give you dominate, maybe you don't play Poison Tips, you hold it for another turn. Um, I just think that it get, gives that versatility play with the Lexi build that um, might actually kind of be a nice little combo. Yeah, I really like that. I like the, the flex play with it, honestly. There are a lot of Frost cards that I really want to test this card with as well, so I am excited to do that. It's just not something I've managed to do. I actually have some Polar Blast sitting off to the side of me right here because yep. um, that is my sideboard stuff. So so I'm glad you mentioned it. It makes me feel more confident about some of my decisions. Yeah. Another big thing to note with Lexi kind of being in the limelight, this card says um, arrows until the end of turn, so it's all your arrows. A lot of the Frost cards in Lexi and a lot of cards in general in Lexi do say that as well. So if you start pairing some of these effects, those hit effects become really scary, um, even on a couple of attacks. Yeah, absolutely. I've been playing actually a lot of Flash and things like that in the deck. Cheap, go again, that kind of situation. Um, especially, especially blue Flash is typically pretty pretty good at Alexi. And Shane, I would have thought the yellow would have been the the go-to color. Yellow. Oh well, here let me see. I actually have my deck picked up. I I'm running three of of the yellow two of of the blue so so you're right i actually am shifting a little bit that direction i think yellow just hits i'm gonna say about 80 percent of my cards that's here. what i would think so that's why i was looking at the yellow just mentally but i think that's cost, poison the tips first. i think so so 
let's move on to kind of our period and review. So what have each of us been doing in the flesh and blood world since our last episode? I think it's it's going to be a lot of pre-releases, a lot of toying with decks that we've kind of already alluded to, but I'll, I'll let you kick us off. Yeah, so my big thing has actually been I've been doing a ton of limited play between the pre-releases and then also locally. We've had a lot of offerings for um, sealed and draft happening. Um, it, I unfortunately didn't get to make the one last night, but I would that would have been my second draft in like a week period um, doing first ed tales of Ari, which is super awesome and then i also did a limited event this last sunday um in sealed um been having a ton of fun with the set i think the set plays super well in limited um we even had to get a get together where a couple of us broke open some boxes um just playing basically a round of limited discussed our pools and then moved on to a new limited pool and you know i had pretty much every single type of matchup we played and we saw both heroes win almost every single type of matchup, even with addressing like player mistakes and things like that. So I think it's actually extremely well balanced set. And, you know, a lot of people are on the, well, you just pull into Briar and you win. I think it's going to be a lot more nuanced than that. And I'm super excited for limited in this set. Yeah, I completely agree. I haven't quite managed as much limited as you have. So my experience in it's, it's not quite as good. I think I've hit four limited events, but like you, I found them to be incredibly well balanced. Now, the earlier the limited event, the worse that balance was because nobody had adapted to how do I deal with this arcane damage, right? They were letting cheap physical attacks through. They were doing things like just taking damage because that's what you've done so often in Blitz in the past. I'm going to take some damage. I'm going to come back and hit you harder. That's not great when you're racing down against decks that can do arcane damage, which is unblockable, or also Oldheim, who can just all of a sudden dominate you for 13. Yep. Um, so, so my opinion of the balance is also that it's incredibly strong. I think out of the four events that I've played, one of them I had to leave early in uh, just because it ran till about 1 in the morning. Uh, the other, I was a bit distracted from a, from a work event, but the other two I tried fairly hard in, uh, I think we were both around 30, 40 players ended up being really, really fun. I think, I think I placed like fourth in one of those and just like fifth or sixth in one of the others. So nothing too crazy. I believe you ended up coming in like second or third in one, right? Um, I, I was doing really well in our personal local one. And then I, I had a very unfortunate turn where I was, um, Oh, what's the card? Is it? What's the Frost um, Lightning Lexi specialization card where you make a ton of Frostbite tokens? Do you know which one I'm talking about? It's the Majestic. I I'm should, just I'm blanking should, super hard yeah. right now. I'm not sure why I don't know that one off the top of my head. The Frost Lightning. You're probably talking about Ice Storm. Ice Storm. That's that's it. Because like whenever you hit create damage yeah, so token, it's plus it's plus three. And then for every damage you deal, you make a frostbite token. Um, I think you also do a damage if you hit um, extra, so that makes an extra frostbite token as well. Um, so I was coming in with an attack burst, um, one of our local players, and he had gone first and arsenaled a red, a uh, what is it, the the defense reaction out of Briar that does one arcane damage and then blocks for four. Um, Again, just sigil of agony, yeah. I believe. Yeah, uh, I'm, just, I'm just blanking on card names again right now. Sigil of suffering. Sigil of suffering. That is correct. Um, so he had that, 
and ended up blocking out my arrow. So a turn that where I had taken basically five damage up front on the first turn just because I knew that there's a very good chance that I'm coming through and time walking him and doing a lot of damage ended up with me taking one damage and doing absolutely nothing. So uh, hurt a lot. And really just swung the tempo of the game, so I lost that one. And then I ended up playing um, our number one seed round two, uh, or the last round of the tournament, and had a unfortunate loss to him as well. And so that knocked me down the standings pretty hard after that. Gotcha. Um, so, but overall, like, still and super enjoying the set. I think it's super fun. I think it plays very nicely. Um, and there's a lot of little nuances to it in the deck construction, even in Sealed, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to learn there, and I'm I'm also really excited about that, even though I'm not always doing it perfectly myself. Right. Um, let me see. What else, what else is going on for us? The other things that I've been working on is some community work and just organizing some different tournaments and things of that nature. So we've actually got a tournament coming up that I'm fairly excited about, and since we had a lot of good feedback from our community building, it's something I might suggest any of our listeners who are TOs, who are you know local organizers. Uh, we're actually going to be running a tournament with the pre-constructed decks. So basically just the three hero decks that come in your bricks. They come out with a kit set of equipment. It's really, really great for new players. It's typically something that we can do as an entry fee for about $15. We can give out pack support for that. We can give out all kinds of things. So I'm pretty excited about that. I think we have 18 players already signed up for this one. Um, and that's probably going to unfortunately be about our limit just due to some product supply issues, but really excited about it. Looking forward to that. Other things I've been doing a little bit of constructed practice. Like I said, practicing some Lexi, practicing a little bit of Oldheim, and then also trying to get some blitz decks together. Um, the skirmish season, of course, just got announced. We might talk about that a little bit further. Um, but that has reinvigorated my desire to kind of switch back to, the blitz a little bit, especially because I'm going to be playing inside events during some of the callings anyway. Now, I won't completely remove my focus from Classic Constructed because Nationals is coming up, but that's kind of the the practice areas I've been up on. And then, of course, cracking boxes, because if anyone could see me on video, I would have a hundred stacks of cards around me at the moment. Yes, there's been there's been many uh, box cracking over here. Um, as far as Classic Constructed stuff, just due to time and work, I haven't had too much time to dig too deep into that. Though, I think the first hero I'm going to be building into is Briar. Shocking almost nobody that knows me. Um, maybe some of our viewers may have been shocked by that. But I, I do love me some good Runeblade, and I'm, I'm very excited for the prospects of Briar. It's a good comfort area for you. You're a very great Runeblade player. You've always been good with Runeblade, even when it hasn't been perceived to be you know one of the stronger decks. So... Like you said, I'm not surprised, but I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what you come up with, especially it being early on. I think it might be really interesting to see you have this interesting diversion compared to where I think people are kind of going with the deck. And I do kind of expect you to have a bit of a diversion um, from that average. So, Okay, well, let's kick into some of the exciting things in the Flesh and Blood world overall that have been happening, not just with us, uh, but with LSS and the game. I suppose I say exciting. But I think we might want to bring it down a notch and talk about the bans first. So I kind of wanted to address the recent bans. We wanted to wait a little while before we addressed this, right? We wanted the dust to settle so that we weren't really reacting from this, ooh, there's there's bans, and I'm not sure how I feel about that standpoint. I didn't want it to be a gut feel. I wanted to actually 
you know, kind of walk through that. So I'm certain everybody that's listening already knows, but they have banned Duskblade in CC, and they've also banned Seeds of Agony. So how do we feel about that? What do we think that's going to do as far as changing the overall metagame? Yeah, and just to be real clear, the Seeds ban is a little bit different than past bans, where the idea was to eventually remove the card from rotation entirely. Um, they still maintain that Seeds is totally fine in limited play and are happy to see it there. They're just removing it from Constructed and Blitz play. Um, my personal feeling on it is I do feel a little awkward about the Duskblade ban. I, I see their concerns, and I would rather them ban it now as opposed to recognize it's out of control ban it a week before nationals and people are scrambling to put to get new decks together and reinvent the meta and things like that. I think that this is, if they think that it's going to be an issue, it's a appropriate call given the situation and not having a lot of time for the meta dust to really settle. Um, especially with the caveat that they mentioned that the unbanning card is not off the table, that that's something that they would strongly consider doing in the future. So, you know, this might be just a temporary thing while they kind of let the dust settle and see exactly kind of where it plays out. Maybe they want to do a little more testing on the side. Um, and, you know, again, I think it... I I do think that it's not great that they mentioned that they didn't do as much testing as they really feel they should have. But I do also like the fact that they were willing to own up to it. Um, you don't see a lot of companies when they feel like they made a mistake really owning it and just kind of like eating eating whatever remarks they have to to kind of say like, hey, this was a mistake we made. This is how we're going about fixing it. We apologize, right? Um, a lot of times you just see lots of excuses being made about how like it's impossible to test for everything. And while that is relatively true, it's still nice to see companies own mistakes when they make them. Uh, the seeds, Absolutely. The Seeds of Agony, I feel kind of has been a time coming. Um, it's just such an efficient card that you can play it for free out of Banish. Like, it does so many things. And the fact that it costs you nothing, because realistically, the biggest cost of cards in Flesh and Blood is the fact that it's a card. The fact that you have a four-card hand, that's the biggest cost. And the fact that it doesn't have that, also attributed to the fact that it doesn't cost you anything to play, I think just is what makes it just brutal to play against. Um, I agree. It's also very easy to recur. There's a lot of ways to pull it back out of your discarded zone. Exactly. Um, there, There's a lot of ways to just keep those seeds coming and just keep the pain train rolling. And so I, I also think that it's the correct card to target. I think it weakens some cards, but I don't think it makes any other card necessarily absolutely unplayable. It just affects how you're going to have to build that chain deck. Um, that being said, I don't think chain is going to disappear entirely from the meta um i mean he's still going to have that ability to banish cards to get a bigger hand size he's just not going to be quite as effective um especially in the late game and sometimes in the mid game because of the number of seeds is he's going to be able to play will not be that number anymore yeah i mean he's still incredibly efficient hand size wise right he still does have access to all of those cards so i've seen a couple of test builds without seeds I feel like they play fairly well. They do, like you said, apply, especially their arcane damage in different ways. There's a lot more vexing malice in the deck and things of that nature. Things that are just finding a way to ping through a little bit of arcane damage. They also tend to play a little bit more from hand and a little bit less of, like you said, that late game 
massive stock of eight seeds. Right. Um, You're also is going to be rare. You're just rarely going to see that on the table now. Now you rarely saw it anyway, but most decks could finish with Urser if that was their game plan. Right. I think another thing is we might see a few less of these cards that say if you played a non-attack action card, then you get to play this card from Banish. Um, those cards are going to be a lot harder to reliably get off without your seeds being put into the Banish zone and things of that nature. So the number of those cards in the deck might come down a little bit. Same thing for Riftbind. Um, you know, that was a card that paired super nicely with seeds. I don't think the red version is unplayable. I think maybe the yellow versions get cut. Um, but again, I think that the deck overall is going to survive. Um, I just think it's going to be kind of put in a more balanced place where it's going to have some strength. It's going to have some weaknesses rather than having an, a very strong matchup first, nearly every single hero. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I... I honestly feel like you covered most of Seeds. I don't really want to add a whole lot to the Seeds discussion. I want to touch back a little bit on how LSS dealt with the ban. I honestly felt like, for anybody who didn't get to read the article, who only saw the Facebook post, the Reddit post, things of that nature about the ban and the mistake that was made, I really encourage you to go to FabTCG and read the article. I feel like, like you said, they really owned up to a mistake they also really care about the game in a way that means they're paying a lot of attention to what's going on and thinking about what the best time for their player base to ban something is and so while i'm not excited about bans ever in any game i would prefer people be willing to make appropriate bans than to ignore a problem Another big thing is they've already announced their next revisit to the ban system. So in that article, again, if you haven't read it, I do also strongly recommend you go check it out. Um, I think it was very insightful and they gave a lot of like deep thought and their ideas behind the process to their ban procedure, which is helpful to understanding why they're doing these things. Um, but also they announced when they would do their next revisit of this. And we're also again announcing that these cards can in the future come off. So just because Seeds is banned now, just because Dustblade is now banned, doesn't mean they're banned forever. There might come a time where the meta shifts and they're more appropriate for the meta and therefore they become unbanned. Um, yeah, it, so that next ban is actually within three months too. It looks like they're going to do it approximately quarterly, maybe a little more often if necessary. So that next ban comes out December the 14th. And, and I do feel like this, especially with Duskblade being in there was, hey, we need a little bit more time to really assess this card, see if this is the appropriate measure. We don't want it messing with a big event like these callings, like Nationals, um, where a powerhouse card that we really don't feel like we ha have a good handle on where it is right now could really disrupt things right after we're fixing another disruption. I think that was their major concern. I think it's a good concern to be wary of. Because um, you don't want everyone playing the same deck at some big event like a Calling or Nationals. No, that becomes stagnant. It becomes, well, honestly, just uninteresting to watch for the most part. Even the majority of the competitive chain players that I know in the past, they really did not enjoy the chain mirror, meaning they felt like it just wasn't fun. It wasn't entertaining. It wasn't as skill-based. And so that's not what we want 
our nationals to be filled with. Exactly. We've got a lot of players that are migrating to the game. We want it to be welcoming, opening, uh, and and friendly for people to join, and we want it to feel balanced, feel skill-based as soon as they come in. So, yeah, overall, I think very positive, very happy about it. As a general rule, I have, like you said, a little bit little reluctance on Duskblade just because I'm always sad to open a package of a card that I'm unlikely to use at least that often but let's be honest there's always some cards in every set that I don't use or don't use much so we'll see if that comes back around again in the future and I have no problems sitting on a cold foil of it and being happy still you and me okay so Oh, did you have more on Duskblade? Oh, I was saying you and me both. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We both have cold foils of this, and we're still not salty. Or at least only marginally salty. So, I think it's reasonable. Just a sprinkle. Just a sprinkle. Just a sprinkle, yeah. Hey, you know, that's flavor for food. Just a just a dash right before that. We'll see if Shay's salty if he opens one. Uh, I can't imagine him caring. I think he'll just make a blitz deck with it and just just roll with it he'll make a meme because he can make a meme with that and he'll be excited yeah i should just probably gift him that for christmas or something <laughs> here here's a cold foil dusk blade do something with it now you can't let him listen to this episode because now he'll know what you're getting for christmas yeah look he's our editor so <laughs> if the sound quality is poor it's shay's fault uh but let's let's talk about the other big exciting thing um, Nationals. I am incredibly excited about Nationals, and they have recently released their FAQ for it, so that is definitely worth talking about. They went back in, they broke out the two types of National Championships events, the invitation-only ones, of course, and then the open-entry National Championships. Uh, the invitation-only, they covered how you would qualify, I don't believe that many people are going to be using a PTI for this, but we'll see. Uh, that is one of the ways you can qualify. You can also get your 90-day invite, and then you can place top four, of course, in a Road to Nationals event, uh, which we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast before, which was something that I really, really enjoyed so far. Um, for me, the things that I thought really stood out from it were how the 90-day experience qualification is going to be done, right? So they outlined the final period, which is, I think, July the 3rd to Friday, October the 1st. So any experience generated during that period will go towards that. And then I believe they said they were going to take 600 players for the event. Right. 600 was their target number. Now, as far as numbers go, let's keep that 600 in mind. Um, what I really wanted to discuss was actually the full formatting of the event. Okay. Um, so, and now I, I've, I've only gotten to read over it briefly, so if you know more than I do, feel free to correct me. I could be entirely wrong on this. But my understanding currently is that it's going to be a three-day event. Um, it's going to start on Friday with eight rounds, the first three of which will be draft. And the second and the latter half will be actually classic constructed. So it's going to start with a draft pod, um, probably playing within that draft pod. We don't know yet, but my hunt being that it'd be three rounds with eight players. Um, you'd probably play inside that draft pod rather than playing outside that draft pod, and then um, you would then move on to classic constructed. Um, then it's going to cut to 24. So from 600 down to 24 players, 
And then we're going to have day two is going to be nearly the exact same, just with those 24 players. So another three rounds of draft into five rounds of Classic Instructed. And then we're going to cut to our top eight, which is going to run normally through Classic Instructed. Now, I really like the idea of this being a mixed formatted event, making sure that players at, that are wanting to represent at the national level can, are both skilled in limited and um, constructed play, especially because since you have to have kind of this higher level of experience to get into the event in the first place, it does mean that you can kind of expect that the person you're sitting next down, next to at this draft is probably going to have enough draft experience to not just totally mess over the draft unless they are intentionally trying to. And unfortunately, we might have somebody like that have come up at this event, but I would assume that if somebody is attending nationals and wanting to fly all the way out there, they're probably going to be taking it pretty seriously. What doesn't excite me about this event is two things. One, the cut from 600 down to 24 is pretty brutal. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's, you, ne you need to not pretty much only lose one round in order to make that. And that's one round in both Classic Instructed and Draft. So if you have an unlucky game in either of those, you can't make another mistake or can't have another off game or you're just pretty much out. The other big thing is draft can be a little volatile. I mean, a little drafting mis error in reading or, um, you know, somebody switching mid-draft um, inefficiently or anything like that can kind of throw off a draft pool. Like I said, we expect more experienced players here and less of that stuff to happen, but it doesn't mean that it won't happen. And that kind of thing happening can mean that if your first two losses are in that draft, you're basically out because of how LSS and Flesh and Blood currently do their tiebreakers, when you lose is a lot more important than who you lose to and how you lose. Um, so with that in mind, I would have preferred to have seen a system that maybe had like a hard, if you only have two losses, you make day two set up or something along those lines um, for at least that first cutoff just to give more people a chance to play in that second day. I understand they're probably trying to make sure that people who don't make it into day two. So so really quickly, okay. um, I, I want to be clear about this. They actually did do day one will consist of eight rounds of Swiss. All players with four or more wins will advance to day two. Interesting. Okay. I did not see that part. So so I, I wanted to stop you there. Um, so so basically, you're, you're correct outside of that. They are three rounds of draft, then five rounds of classic constructed. But if you get four or more wins, you will advance to day two. Day two will consist of eight more rounds of Swiss, uh, which will be followed by a cut to top eight. Okay, so they've changed it then. They have adjusted it. I think a lot of people had that kind of freak out. Um, or potentially when it was initially announced, it was not for the USA National Championship. So there are, of course, a couple of different national championships that are announced well, at this point. So I will say that this my, my information came from reading over my own email for qualifying for nationals so that was where gotcha. i was getting my initial information from i had not looked at it since then um so if they've up they have definitely updated it if that is the case which is very exciting i think that is an awesome move by them i think they're responding to the community which i think all of these are good things and i'm very excited like that, that like that was my biggest concern i was like man i'm gonna do all this prep and if i get a little bit unlucky then it's over in a flash right um, yeah that would be hard and it, it would be relief it would be just frustrating, right? Um, like, even at, um, let's say, the calling, right? I ended up dropping out early because I took a 
bad loss early in the tournament and i was like okay i can go play side events or i can try and force my elo up but i'm definitely not making day two and even if i do somehow miraculously make day two i'm not making top eight there's no way i can oh, yeah. pull up from there and so at that point i was like i might as well just go have enjoy myself enjoy my time in vegas enjoy these side events go you know draft aria things like that that i wouldn't have gotten to do had i not dropped out of the event at that point in time Absolutely. I mean, I, I want to be clear, it's still a fairly restrictive tournament structure in my mind, because, so, eight rounds of Swiss, all players with four or more wins advancing to day two, right? Day two, that still calls people down to a top eight. I need to do the math. I didn't do it before this podcast. I probably should have. But if we have a full boat of 600 players, I'm not certain exactly how many players that is with four or more wins, but that is only a 50% win rate. A 50% win rate is half the field, right? In theory. No, it it, so, it can for sure still be a lot. Now, it's still going to be two, 300 players to cut to top eight. That's, that's extraordinary, right? I assume that there's rankings from beforehand, so you're going to have a lot of people drop. I, I think we'll have that as well. Now, that being said, I do also think that because it's it has the setup now you're also going to have people who don't make it awkwardly so for instance they're going to take two losses in draft they're going to take two let's say two losses and a draw in classic constructed um, because draws are still something that are going to come into play here you know the, yeah. these uh, these awkward mishmash um, events are going to happen because it is a split event right um, and so i think that you will you will have some people who perform very well in draft and then just don't perform well in classic constructor. Maybe they haven't figured out the meta yet. Maybe they're like me. Um, you know, their work season is picking up, and so they haven't had as much time to really focus on how the meta is shifting. And so they're they're just yeah, not absolutely. as prepared as they were during road to national season. Um, I mean, I I think outside of your very top tier players, a lot of people will not have adjusted for Tales of Aria by the time nationals comes out. It's a not a lot of time. And if you're a working professional, like you said, like you set yourself, myself, the amount of time you need to grind games and to deck and theory craft with the new heroes to be that prepared for classic constructed is pretty obscene. I'd say you need a couple hours a day probably to be truly prepared. For sure. Uh, but yeah, I assume, again, it's not like it's a separate tournament from day one to day two. So if I come in ranked 200th, I'm not hitting top eight. I might just go do side events. It kind of depends. Um, but it is nationals. And so part of me also would really want to fight for how high can I place just to see. Absolutely. Um, the other big thing is that this is a separate event from the calling. So national starts on Friday. The calling starts on Saturday. So if you drop out of nationals, you can go play in the calling. Um, which is great because I technically entered the calling before I knew I was going to nationals. So I'm paid either way. Uh, the prizes actually seem to be quite nice. I think the champion of nationals actually pays out $10,000, gets a national championship trophy and one of the gold cold foils. So that's actually the biggest prize we've seen so far for this. Uh, any finalist, I think it's 4000 or sorry, the second place, the finalist gets 4000 and a gold foil. And then third and fourth, about 2500 Fifth through eighth get $1,200. I mean, it's it's solid pricing. For sure. 
Um, I think also every participant gets like a cold foil hero or something like that, which is kind of cool. Yep. Um, and a participation gift, but they have not announced yet. Um, I assume that is going to be a playmat or something of that nature. It's hard to say. I like playmats, so a playmat would be cool in my book. I'm not going to be opposed to it. I They did also say that the top eight playmats are going to be unique to the national championship. So if you top eight in national championship, there are going to be only eight of those. I guess eight of them per national championship, but. Which is awesome. I, I love things like that um, just because, you know, it, it is cool to sit down with a playmat and being able to kind of say, like, hey, I earned this. Um, now, obviously, yeah. some people are going to sell theirs. Like, that, that's sure. a nature of the beast, right? But at the same time, it, it, is, it can kind of be that cool mark of pride um, to be able to display those types of things. Even if you're a reseller, the fact that these will be truly unique compared to the way they've done some of them in the past... Um, they are going to be incredibly rare. So, for example, some of the calling playmats are repeated in some of the monthly armory kits and things of that nature, or the pre-release kits. And so they're not as rare. That being said, most playmats in Flesh and Blood go for $100 plus. So it's not like anyone should be complaining about the value of their playmats, because all games I've played in the past, playmats have been 20 to $30 for sure. outside of a few really rare ones. Absolutely. But but yeah no I mean again like I I can't tell you how ecstatic I am to hear that that change has happened just because like that was gonna be literally my biggest gripe was that like oof six hundred down to twenty four on day one like that that feels like a lot right like you said like you kind of want to be able to play and see like hey maybe I had a bad day one but let's see how far I can take day two like you you might have that feeling and if you're feeling good about it and you want to do that I feel like if you played well not stellar but well. You should have those kind of opportunities to you. Yeah. Um, even if it had been more restricted, I think that I did the math earlier and at 600, like this, the X2 cut. So if you'd only had two losses instead of um, two losses, a day, so six wins on the day, that cut it down to like, I think the 80 to 100 range. So cutting down one okay. sixth of the field, even that's like a sharp cutoff, but still a lot more flexible than only two of those people at six and two getting in, which was, which I believe was my original math. Um, when I ran the numbers. It so sounds about right. And you're the mathematician of the group. So I'm just going to blanketly trust you here. I mean, in full disclosure, I did use an, an app to do the math for me. I wasn't about to do that by hand. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so how do you feel about the number of invites for this? I, I'm not sure what made them decide 600, um, if you were to go and look at the national 90 day experience rankings right now, 600 players will take you to about 96 experience over the past 90 days. So 96 experience experience is, I, it's hard for me to decide whether I think that's a lot or not. I think initially I said, I thought you'd probably be able to get an invite with 115, 120. Um, so it's even quite a bit lower than that. For example, to get all the way up to 115 or 120, you'd only be inviting about 450 players. So you cut off over 150 players just by making that difference. I I can agree with that. Now, one thing to really big thing to consider is that this is going to reach a wider audience. I mean, you have players who they don't get to play at as many events as some of us do. I mean, we have the great fortune in our area that I believe we can hit four armory events usually a week if we really want to, um, with about 
30 minutes of driving max to each of those, at least for me personally. Um, and so that's, if I, let's say, do okay at those and they're, and we're doing three rounds, that's, let's say I'm winning two out of the three, that's going to be 24 experience a week, which can push those numbers up really quickly. Whereas some other people might only have the one store that's willing to support and then they got to win out. So if, you know, 96 might be a lot for some people, but very little for others. So I think, I think it does create a nice balance between the system. Also, similarly, if you have people who are playing four times a week, they're probably at least, if they're not great, fantastic players, they're more experienced players, right? So again, the big thing to concern, especially with draft being the starter for these events, is that you don't want somebody coming in being woefully inexperienced and therefore ruining the draft experience for players at such a big, large event, right? They don't need to be yeah. all-star drafters, but you need them to understand and have enough experience in the game where they're not going to suddenly go, oh, I'm drafting all ice cards expecting to play Briar. They need to send and read appropriate signals. Sometimes I'll send a player blatant signals and they will do nothing with it. Right. Especially in, in a local event, right? And now, and now I'll be honest, like there have been times where I know I'm being sent signals later into a draft. But I'm so deep in on my pool that it's like I'm just having to make the best of what I have at this point. Um, sure. You know, sometimes mistakes sometimes get you made. Are you get you get handed a rough hand, and you have to work with it. That's part of the beauty of drafting sealed, honestly. Um, but that being said, you know, again, like picking up on those signals, being aware of what's going on around them, I think that's going to be more seen at this event rather than just like. For instance, we had a draft event where we had two people who had never played Flesh and Blood before. We did not properly explain the talent system to them for Monarch, and they ended up with a bunch of light warrior cards planning on playing Prism. Um, gotcha. It really hurt the pool for those of us who ended up on Warrior, of which I was one, um, thinking that there were a ton of Warrior players in the pool, but there were only actually two of us, but we had two Prism players who were taking Warrior cards. Um, so it made a negative experience for them, it made a negative experience for the rest of us, and it just overall kind of sullied the draft experience now it's nothing against them they were brand new and it was our fault as the more experienced players for not recognizing like oh even though you've drafted a lot in magic you might not understand how drafting works in flesh and blood we should probably explain this a little bit more exactly so like that that was again i'm calling it on the to i'm calling on the more experienced players we should have recognized that as being an issue and addressed that better yeah so I, I completely understand all that. And honestly, I don't even want to complain about the number of players invited or not invited. Um, 1,000 would have been fine. 600, 500 would have been fine for me. Ultimately, I'm not sure how I feel about 90-day experience overall for the issues you said. Um, there is a tri-state area that I saw. Uh, you know, one player, they could literally make 18 events within an hour of their house. That's amazing. I do only make one event a week, and so I've got to make that experience count. But I do have three or four available, so if I chose to grind, I could do so. It's it's hard because repetition doesn't always equate to skill. There are people who likely rank higher than me on the experience that are not as good. And I don't mean that in any insulting way at all. It just means that I know one or two that literally have over 100 games recorded more than I do in the TO system yet we're only 
a few points apart, right? Um, so that kind of thing is is different. Then again, saying a win ratio doesn't mean anything either because then that would encourage win farming and things of that nature. So For sure. And also, like, quality of win can also be a thing, right? Um, so, for instance, um, and, like, and this is one thing to consider that I, I do think LSS might want to take a hard look at their their tiebreaker system. I understand their purpose behind it. I've read their articles on it. I'm not sure I 100% agree with it. So prime example, um, this weekend we had a sealed event. Um, I had one loss to the person who ended up ultimately coming in second. My last round win was actually against the person who was who ended up winning the event, so it was ranked top. Um, I came in fifth. So right. because I lost round one, to the person who ended up ultimately coming second, even though I won last round versus the person who was the same, who was the highest rank at the time and had the same record as me at the very end of the day, because we had five three ones, um, it was a very awkward tournament. Um, but at the end of the day, that led to me placing out of the top four, even though, as far as strength of schedule looked, I had done very well. Right. And so yeah, that that happens a lot. Um... I think, I think we've even ended up in a situation in which you have beaten me in a later round of a tournament, yet I have still outplaced you, just like you're saying, because I didn't lose early. But you beat me and outplayed me at the time, right? So it is difficult. I, I Like you said, I understand the logic that in theory you're playing better players to get where you're at to get to your record but that is not always the case you could get matched against the best player in the tournament round one happened to me at a road nationals played the person who won it round one lost <laughs> those are always good days i love getting i love getting matched against somebody that i i look across the table and i say like you are you're in the running for the win today no matter what you're in the running for the win today yeah. that makes it difficult i i I will say that I think they're probably moving in the right direction. So I snuck this one in, but they recently, actually t yesterday, announced that they were updating their ratings policy. So this is currently still only for professional events, but they are starting to broaden that scope, right? So if you've played in a professional level event, you've been rated in the past or kind of curious of what that's going to be looking like, they went ahead and they split their leaderboards from a constructed standpoint and a limited standpoint where in the past it was basically just you're rated based on how well you play in a professional event and they said they felt it was more appropriate to rate you based on how good you were in limited and how good you were in constructed so i think maybe as the game matures they might start to add a pseudo elo or a pseudo quality of win to lower rankings right to overall rankings to maybe invites and things like that they are continuing to make it more complex and nuanced in how they're rating players absolutely and overall again lss young company smaller company you know these types of things are not meant to be their primary focus right now but with it becoming these bigger tournaments happening it does need to start becoming maybe more of a focus of like how do we give the best overall tournament experience yeah absolutely all right, so any other thoughts before we start to wrap up today? No, but I, I'm excited for what you're about to announce. 
I know. You know, I'm actually going to break away really quickly and, and not even go straight into the outro. I'm going to go ahead and say thank you for listening to everybody. But I want people to know that this thank you is extraordinarily sincere from me. I recently got an email from Apple Podcasts saying that we rated in the top 10 podcasts in gaming for several different countries, that as far as TCGs and card games go, that we are one of the fastest growing podcasts and things of that nature. That is all because of you, our listeners. And that floors me that anyone wants to listen to us sit and ramble and talk um, and get something good out of that. And so I'm extraordinarily thankful for all of that. I mean, it was because of that. I was going to say it was awesome for me at the calling to like, they, they said, Hey, you should totally, you know, promote our podcast while you're there, you know, non nonchalantly and whatnot. And, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do the thing. I'll do the showboaty nonsense, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then people actually recognize the, the name. Like I shouted you out last podcast and like, it was super awesome to meet people who were like, yeah, I, I listened to you. Um, it was surreal and really cool and interesting. And I can't wait to see you all in Dallas. Yeah, me either. Because I'm I'm so stoked to be there and and also get to meet people and play with people in the community uh, that I don't usually get to see. So apparently this is a bit under-realized. So we wanted to go ahead and do our first giveaway drawing as we've now reached over 100 followers on Facebook. If you haven't found us on Facebook yet and only listen to us on a podcasting platform or subscribe through a podcasting platform, we do urge you to go and give us a like or a follow if you can. But without further ado, we're going to do our first winner or our first drawing. They're going to receive a box of Welcome to Wraith Unlimited, and this will be Austin Elkins. So Austin, if you're listening to this today, we're going to be reaching out to you via Facebook to get your address and get this box sent to you ASAP. Congratulations on the win on that. We hope you pull a great legendary on us. And to all of our additional listeners, as we continue to grow, we're going to continue to give away some additional items as often as we can, whether that be some additional promos and prizes and things like that that we can get our hands on, or whether that becomes uh, additional boxes, first edition, things like that. We really thank you for our support, and we appreciate you and the overall Flesh and Blood community. You're what make the game fun for all of us. This podcast and this giveaway was sponsored by Edmund Unplugged in the Oklahoma area. And they are the home of the Arknights Unplugged Flesh and Blood team, which we are both a part of. So I want to always give them a shout out. They treat us great. They treat the community great. Uh, and I 100% recommend you attend an event there if you can. Absolutely. Um, it's It's been an awesome and surreal experience. Absolutely. Thanks again. We've been Kadachi for three. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Flesh and Blood community. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please share us, leave us a like, or a review. If you want to engage with us directly, please find us on Facebook at Kadachi43. And remember, we are available for download on all major podcast providers. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, enjoy playing Flesh and Blood.